How you guys doing? Good. If you're all doing as good as Tim, we'll be, we'll be good. Oh, man. All right. Um, you guys enjoying this weird weather we've been having? No. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, man, it's so weird. The other day it was like 65 and, and it was feeling great. And then the next day it was 20-something when I went to work. Literally, I had my one hand in my coat pocket and the other hand carrying my lunch bag. And when I got inside, it looked like I, they were two different colors. Like, it looked like someone had put a tourniquet on my wrist or something. It was just beet red and it hurt. And I was like, this, this doesn't make any sense. Um, all right. Well, with all that, uh, let's jump into the message. Uh, we have been in this series called running with the giants. If you've missed any of it, it's all online. I don't know if everyone knows that, but all our messages are on our website. And if you don't like going to our website, uh, they're on iTunes. You just search true life church, uh, Newark. Uh, we're the only one in Newark of any kind. Uh, so if you search that, you can download all of our messages. I upload them, so, you know, uh, I think it's worth your time if, if you've missed a message to go back and, uh, and listen to them. They're, they're good. So let's go to our theme verse. If you have a Bible, grab it and go to Hebrews 12. I'll give you a second to turn there. All right. So Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Man, I love this verse. And every week that we've come back to it, I love this verse. I just think about it. I've meditated on it through the week. And and the reason I love this verse is because the author is comparing our life, our walk with Christ, to a race. But what you'll notice in this verse, and if you were to read the whole chapter, it's not a race where there is first place or second place or third place. You're not going to get a gold, silver, or bronze medal for finishing this race. It's really just two categories. It's those that finish the race and those that don't. That's really the only categories here. And I love that. It's, it's very simple. Uh, sometimes we get caught up in, in this argument of like, well, they came to church for six months and then they completely stopped. So are they still a Christian? Or, or they loved God for a little while, it seemed like, and, and now they don't. So wh- where does that leave them? The Bible really doesn't concern itself with that argument. And so we shouldn't either. The Bible's concerned with how do we finish? How do we finish our life? How do we finish our race? And Jesus puts it really simply in one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Matthew 24, 13. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I think that settles it. Uh, The one who endures to the end will be saved. I love that verse because it's not about how cool you look while you're running. It's not about what kind of running shoes you have on or whether Nike sponsors you or not. It's just that you keep running. It's just that you keep going. The Bible commends that. It praises that. And I think that sometimes, me and my wife were talking about that this week, that sometimes we don't do a great job at that. That sometimes as Christians, we recognize, we notice, we praise those who do extraordinary things. Those who can fast for long periods of time or go on mission trips like the girls that we talked about today or, or those that do these great things. But some of you, some of you are just still going. Some of you just love God and you've loved God for a long time. And if we put your life on the screen, we may fall asleep, but you love Jesus and the Bible commends that. And the Bible says that is awesome. So I just wanted to take a quick poll here. How many of you guys have been Christians, have been loving Jesus for more than 10 years? Anyone here? All right. That's awesome. How how many more than 20 years? We got a few. All right. Now, uh, okay. I'll put my hand down on this one so I'm not a liar because I'm only 29. How many for more than 30 years you've been, you've been loving Jesus? Okay. Now, I don't know if there's anyone uh, in this age bracket. Um, 
So I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I will. Uh, so anyone more than 40 years? Is there anyone here? Oh, man. All right. So we have, we have a few. Can we, just, can we just give them a hand? That is awesome. I mean it. That is so cool. And I don't, care, I don't care what all the little details of your life are. Just the fact that you've been running with Jesus for that long is amazing. It's awesome. And the Bible commends it. The Bible says that is awesome. Uh, and, and as a church, as Christians, we need to recognize that, man, if you come in contact with someone, if you're friends with someone who's been walking with Jesus that long, that is awesome. You should get to know them. You should hang out with them more. They probably have some cool stories. Um, if ever there was a guy in the Bible who knew about endurance, who knew about pushing through, who knew about how to keep going, it was this, this boy named Joseph in the old Testament. And I love Joseph's story. Joseph, if he could come alongside us, we've been saying this every week, what would they say in our race? If Joseph could come alongside us in our race, I think that he would say these three words, don't give up. I think that would be Joseph's message to us. As we read his story today, you'll see that. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your career. Don't give up on your life. No matter what you're going through, don't give up. And as I thought of endurance, as I thought of racing, I thought of our church because we have a lot of runners. Are there, are there any runners here today? Anyone that likes running? Man, God bless you guys. I don't know how you do it. Um, I'll be honest. I, lo- I love fitness. I love working out, all that stuff. But running is not, not my favorite thing to do. I got into it a few years ago. I got up to about, I think eight miles was about as far as I would run. And I would just feel like death afterwards. Um, like it just wasn't, it was never my thing. And so... Um, but if you're a runner, if you do some kind of other endurance sport like rowing or, or, or one of the other ones where you just have to kind of keep pushing for long distances, long periods of time, you know that there's this thing that it's sort of emotional, it's sort of mental that you can hit uh, in the middle or in the end that makes you want to stop. Anyone know what that's called? The wall, right? Uh, that, that while you're doing these things with endurance, that sometimes you hit this thing called the wall. And, and it's, it's notorious for people who do marathon runs, but, but I think really pretty much any endurance sport, you can hit that point where you're just thinking, I want to stop. Now I do, um, the, the workouts I like to do are CrossFit and they're, they're shorter workouts, but man, I hit those all the time. Like a minute in, I'm like, I've hit the wall. I want to stop now. Um, I'm done. And, and so, um, but there's this thing called the wall and it makes you want to stop and, and others around you may not be able to see it, but, but inside you feel it. You feel like, man, I want to give up. I want to stop. And I thought of my best friend. Uh, anyone here know what my best friend's name is? Malachi, man. See, I love that, that I've preached here enough and I've shared enough stories that you guys know who he is. Um, maybe, maybe I'll get him to fly out here one day so you can meet him. But, but my best friend Malachi, uh, several years ago, a while back now, was joining the Navy. Um, and when you join the Navy, uh, I only know what he's told me, right? So I'm not an expert on this. But when you join the Navy, you have to do some physical test outs. Um, you have to go to your recruiter's office and they take you out and you do push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and, and then you run. And you have to run a certain distance. I think it's a mile or two miles. and You have to do it in a certain amount of time. And, and so Malachi went to one of these test outs. At the time, he was living in St. Louis and uh, it was the winter. And so it was cold. It was colder than it is here and there's snow and, and all that kind of thing. And, and so Malachi goes to the recruiter's office for this appointment he has scheduled to do a test out well he gets there and, and his recruiter isn't there another recruiter is there and he's like you know what? don't worry about it man i'll just come back another day i'll just come back when my recruiter's here he's like no 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 i'm actually doing a test out today with these guys you could come along and do it well these guys were testing out to join the navy seals not the navy right uh and so uh so to say the least like they're in really good shape right like i mean they're they're in 
really good shape. And Malachi is, he's, he's not, he's not in the, in the kind of shape they're in. And, and so, uh, He's uh, at the time he was a smoker and he was a single guy living in an apartment with a bunch of other single guys eating junk food. And and so he goes to do the test out. Right. And they, they do the push ups and the pull ups and the sit ups. And they're they're just killing him. Right. Like he's in there just busting him out. And uh, and they get to the track and they go to run and it's cold and everything. And and they lap him and they lap him and they lap and they finish. Right. And he's still out there running and they're over on the side encouraging him. You can do this, man. You can do it. And, and all of a sudden he just starts vomiting everywhere. Right. <sighs> And, uh, and he hit the wall, right? He wanted to stop. Uh, but if you know this guy, you know that, that he doesn't give up. He has endurance. So he keeps going. Now, this is where it gets even more embarrassing. One of these guys comes out and runs backwards with him. Okay? And he's like, you can do it, man. You know you're running slow if someone else can run that speed backwards. It's just a fact. If anyone can run that speed backwards, you're probably running too slow. And so uh, this guy goes, oh, yeah, you got it. You can do it, man. And Malachi's like, I know I can do it. And, he, and, he, and he's running. And, and he did finish. He hit that wall, but he pushed through it. And, uh, and at the end, they're all like, good job, man. You know what? Everyone's first test out is like this. And he's like, I know, but this is my fourth test out. And uh, so, so to say the least, Malachi, he hit the wall, right? And sometimes in life, we hit the wall. Sometimes in life, we hit that point where, where, we're, where we're throwing up. And, we, and people are encouraging us, but we think, man, they don't even know what it's like. They don't know. They, they could do this backwards. They could do this blindfolded and, and not have an issue. But I'm struggling, and, I, and I've hit the wall. And today, we're going to look at Joseph because he hit several walls in his life. And this message is going to be a little bit different than maybe a typical message on a Sunday morning. Typically what we do, me or Michael or whoever's preaching, is we come to the word and we, and we find some, some points and we bring you guys some points and we share those points. And the Bible is full of great points, right? Yeah? Anyone? No? Uh, when I read the Bible, I think in points. It's just I've been preaching so long that when I read the Bible, I'm like, oh, that would be a great point. I could just bullet point that and, you know, use that. Um, but you know what else the Bible is full of? The Bible is full of stories. And when we look at Jesus and we look at the way he preached, there was often that he just preached in stories. He just stood up and he would share stories and he'd be done. And, and, and sometimes not even explain them. His disciples would come up to him later that day and be like, Jesus, we really don't understand the story you told. And, and Jesus would, uh, you know, kind of mock them a little bit and then explain the story. And uh, so today what I want to do is I just want to walk through Joseph's story. I just want us to read Joseph's story and understand what his life was like, because I think if we can understand his story, it'll stick with us. Because I can guarantee this. Most of you guys who are in school and in, in college, um, if I asked you to tell me some lesson, some point your teacher made like last year, you probably wouldn't remember it. But if I asked you to give me the plot line of a movie you saw last summer, you probably could. If I asked you to give me the plot line of a book you read last year, you probably could. And it's because as people, as humans, we remember stories. We're drawn to stories. In fact, our life is a story. And, and so today, I just want to read through Joseph's story. And literally, I have one point today, and it's don't give up. So there it is. If, you, if you're looking for points, you're taking notes, one bullet point. Don't give up. So let's start by going to Genesis 37. This is Joseph. Now, Joseph, his story is like this. Every situation he gets himself into, he rises to the top. He becomes the best. He becomes the favorite, no matter where he is. It's just the favor of God on his life. It's who Joseph was. As he lived out his life, as he honored God, he just continued to rise to the top, no matter where he was placed. This started early on. This started in his family. He had 11 brothers. It's Joseph and 11 other boys. A lot of testosterone in that house. And, uh, and Joseph, 
becomes his dad's favorite. Now, this is poor parenting on his dad's part, right? Like parents aren't supposed to have favorite, especially if you have 12 kids. Uh, and, and Joseph becomes his dad's favorite, so much so that his dad gives him gifts. He gives him this awesome coat that we read about, and his brothers don't get that stuff. So needless to say, his brothers hate his guts, and, and, and rightly so. Like, it makes sense that they hate his guts. If I had, well, I had three brothers growing up. If one of them was the clear favorite, like they're getting more gifts from mom and dad, and mom and dad are just praising them and talking about how awesome they are, I would probably have hated them, as a kid at least. I mean, maybe I would have matured out of that, maybe not. Uh, but I, I would have thought, you know what? They're stupid. I, I don't like them, right? And so we're going to pick this story up in Genesis 37. Joseph's dad again, a bad parent, uh, tells his favorite son, hey, your brothers are out in the wilderness. Nothing good happens there, right? Uh, they're out in the wilderness. I want you to go check on them. I just don't know what his dad was thinking. Like, okay, he had to know that these brothers hated him. And, and he sends his favorite out into the wilderness. Anyway, so let's go to uh, verse 19. Oh, one more thing. Joseph had a lot of dreams. Some of those dreams included that his brothers would one day worship him. Foolishly, he shared that dream with his brothers who already hated him, and they hated him more. Uh, and so we pick this up in verse 19. They see him coming, and it says this. Here comes the dreamer, right? And they're not saying that in a good way. Like, they're mocking him. Uh, they said, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. I'm going to replace that word with pit. It means pit. None of us know what a cistern is. Uh, we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Now, again, that's sarcasm, because if he's dead... His dreams aren't going to happen, right? Um, but when Reuben heard of this scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. So at this point, we're thinking Reuben's a good guy, right? Uh, he's probably the good brother. Let's not kill him. Good job, Reuben, he said. Uh, why should we shed any blood? Another great point. Let's just throw him into this empty pit here in the wilderness. No. Uh, then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Let me just say this. I'll pause there for a second. When you want to do the right thing, but you want to do it secretly so it doesn't cause any embarrassment to you, it's going to go poorly. It just will. So when, when you're in that situation where you have the ability to stand up for, for what you believe, for what is right, and you try to kind of backdoor it and, and do it in a way where nobody will call you out or where you won't feel any kind of awkwardness, it's going to go poorly for you. And it's not going to help you win anyone over to Jesus. And we're going to see that with Reuben, that he tried to do this sneaky, sneaky kind of secret thing to save his brother without looking like the guy who didn't agree with the other guys. And, uh, and it didn't turn out well. So let's keep reading. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe that he was wearing, and then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern, the pit. Now the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. I think Joseph's starting to hit that wall here, but it gets better. Verse 28, when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by Joseph's brothers, pulled him out of the pit, and they sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Our first account that we can see in the Bible of human trafficking. Uh, Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brothers. Again, Reuben had a chance to save him, didn't speak up. Joseph's now in slavery. If we keep reading, we would see Reuben comes back and it's like, what did you do? Oh my, and his plan's ruined. Do you guys think that maybe he hit a wall here? Do you think that Joseph maybe wanted to give up? I, I would. I mean, if I'm going about my day and then my brothers rip my clothes off me, throw me into a pit, sell me to slave traders, and now I'm in a foreign country, I feel like I would want to give up. Like on my dreams, on my family for sure, um, I would want to give up. And I, I think Joseph did. I think he, want, he hit a wall here. 
I thought of this as honestly kind of like, uh, kind of like Taken, but without Liam Neeson, right? Like he just got sold into slavery into a foreign country, but there's no one coming to look for him um, because his dad thinks he's dead. They went back and told dad, hey, he died. Here's his coat. They put some blood on it. Some of you have been here. You've been betrayed by family or close friends, and you know what that pain is like. Some of you have suffered through, through unfaithful spouses or divorce. You, maybe you grew up in an abusive home or had other problems. If Joseph was here today, his one point, again, would be don't give up. Keep going. God is faithful. He has a plan. If Joseph could skip ahead, he would see that down the road, not only would God restore his relationship with his family, but that, but that, that dream would actually come true and they would bow down to him because of his level of authority. And he would have a chance that he could have killed them but he spares their life. And when I read the Old Testament, I love that we get these little glimpses of Jesus in the Old Testament because much like Joseph, Jesus was also mistreated. And with the power and the authority he had, he could have wiped us all out, but he chose to forgive us and spare our lives. And that's, that's Joseph's story. And so Joseph, in this point, even though he doesn't know those things are going to happen, he's, he would say, don't give up. So if we continue, we can read what happened to Joseph a couple chapters later as he was sold into slavery. Uh, chapter 39, it says this. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him. He paid money for him uh, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. In Joseph's race, this is really a good part for him, right? Things could have went much worse. He's sold into slavery. Some guy buys him quickly. Again, just like his family, Joseph rises to the top. He's now second in command over that guy's house. We don't have anything equivalent to this in our modern age, but he is over everything. Like he's probably over his budget and his groceries and who cleans what and who does what in the house. That's Joseph's role. He literally, it literally says Potiphar had no worries. And, and, and so Joseph, he's the top dog in the house. I mean, like he knows what's going on. Um, and just a side note here, just so that we can kind of understand Joseph's situation at any given point in history, slavery was awful, but it was different at different points in history. And so this isn't the slavery we think of maybe in America that was awful and horrid. While this was terrible, some people voluntarily sold themselves into slavery at this day and age to pay off debts. So it, it, it was different in context than maybe what we're used to. Joseph's in that situation where he's been sold into slavery. He doesn't have a chance to get out like some people might have back then, but he's at the top. He's running this rich guy's household. Uh, but it, it doesn't stay there. It, it would be nice if that was the end of Joseph's story. If he had hit one wall with his family, but got, then God elevated him to a power, uh, a position of power in this rich guy's house and, and maybe uses him from that point on. But no, Joseph's not done hitting walls. What we'll see is that Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph. Like Potiphar took notice that Joseph was, uh, had the favor of the Lord on him. She took notice of Joseph for other reasons. And so she, uh, at this point, we're going to skip to verse 10 in chapter 39. Um, she's been putting the pressure on Joseph to come sleep with her. Uh, and, and so in verse 10, we'll pick it up. And it says this, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. 
One day, however, no one else was around, and when he went in to do his work, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on and sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. This story, like every time I read it, I'm like, holy moly, Joseph, like that is a big deal. I have to think two things, one of two things about Joseph or both. Either Joseph was really a man of God and had a lot of integrity or this girl was wildly unattractive, right? And just like, I mean, no interest whatsoever. Those are the two options or both. Like, I don't know if you guys remember like the Drew Carey show. There was that character Mimi on it. You guys remember that? Not her, Drew Carey. Like maybe she looked like Drew Carey and, uh, and Joseph's just like no interest. Um, but I, I, th- I lean towards that he was a man of God just by what we read about him and, and the rest of his story. Um, and so uh, if, if we skip down to verse 13, I'll, I'll throw this in there. This, this might seem un, unreal. Like people would say, oh, this could never happen. Like how could he resist that? And you know, I have a friend, and this is a true story. I have a friend that was a bellhop at a hotel. Uh, and, and he was the guy who would help you get your bags to the door and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes you did room service and all that. There was a night he was working late at night, and, and someone called room service, wanted a Coke. And he was like, that's weird. No one orders just a drink for room service, right? So he, he goes to take it up. This woman answers the door lingerie that's all she's wearing and he's like uh, and she's like i was hoping i'd get you i want you to come in and spend the night with me he drops the coke and he runs down the hall right and, and he like runs down to the to the desk and he's like i can't go back up there she needs anything else someone else has to go i'm not going and he was the only christian that worked at that hotel and and all of the other guys there made fun of him like well, why didn't you just go he's like that's not what i want i'm waiting till marriage i don't want that it's not me so this still happens like this is still a real thing that could happen uh maybe maybe not in the way we think like oh grabbing the cloak and all that because it, it's just kind of foreign to us but this same temptation still happens and so so if we keep reading in verse 13 it says when she saw that uh that she was holding his cloak and he had fled she called out to the servants soon all the men came running look she said my husband has brought this hebrew slave here to make fools of us he came into my room to rape me but i screamed when he heard me scream he ran outside and got away but he left his cloak with me some of you have experienced a wall like this of lies and slander someone went out of their way to hurt you to ruin your reputation And it hurts and and it's tough. And when you get to that place, it's a wall and you want to stop and you want to give up. I remember a mentor of mine, a a friend, he was leading a men's group. And he used to say this to encourage us to avoid any kind of situation that could look bad. He said, fellas, if a girl accuses you of sexual immorality, it doesn't matter if it's true. You lose every time. So stay out of those situations. Stay out of those things that look bad. Some people ask why, why different members of our lead team, myself, Michael, why we have these rules like I won't be in a car alone. Uh, I won't be alone in a car with a girl that's not my wife. It's because I don't ever want a situation that could look bad. Joseph didn't do anything wrong, but he put, was in a situation that allowed him to look bad. And it, and it ruined his reputation. And we'll see here momentarily ruined his life. So he hit a wall. His reputation was ruined. And if you've been in that place, Joseph would say, don't give up. And I've seen people go through this. I've seen people lose their reputation and it was over lies. And by the time the truth came out, they had already lost a lot. And if we look down a little bit further in verse 19, Potiphar finds out about this. And it says Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. And this is yet another wall that I would say is 
our employment, our jobs. Sometimes we hit a wall with our employer. Sometimes we get fired. Sometimes we feel stuck. I actually was thinking about this this week. Um, let's get a little interactive, okay? Uh, can you guys just close your eyes for a second? All right. I just want to do a quick poll of the church. Um, I can't really see faces, so don't feel embarrassed. I won't know who you are. But if, if you feel stuck in your current job or you feel like you're in a job that isn't what God has called you to do with your life, could you just put your hand up just for a second? Okay. All right. Uh, you guys can put your hands down, open your eyes. There's a lot of people in our church who feel that way. And that's what I thought as I was praying about this message. And as I thought about this point in the message, I just wanted to stop and say, you know what? Don't give up. If Joseph could be here with us today, he had it worse with his employer than us, probably. Right. I mean, I know Jeff probably has a hard time working for Michael in true life. I know that's rough, but but, you know, Michael's not throwing you in jail. Right, man. Uh, and, and so. Some of you guys have hit walls with your employers. Sometimes, some of you feel stuck. Some of you feel like, God, why am I doing the thing I'm doing? I just want to get out of it. And I'm not saying don't try, don't, don't go for that next thing, that promotion, that whatever. But be faithful right where you are. Because that's what Joseph did. He was faithful until the moment he got thrown in jail. And then we're going to see in a moment that he was faithful even then with what God gave him. If you're faithful, God will get you exactly where you need to be. And so we can see again that, that he goes from having a good season to hitting a wall, feeling like giving up. And now he's in prison. And, and I want to read what happens to him in prison. In verse 21, chapter 39, it says this. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison. Awesome. No matter where you are, God is with you. He was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Again, rising to the top, becoming the favorite. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And over everything that happened in the prison, the warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Even in the worst scenario possible, Joseph rises to the top. He isn't moping. He isn't in the corner crying, playing tic-tac-toe or whatever. Like Joseph Rises to the top. He's faithful. He honors God in that place. And then as he does that, he, he makes friends in the jail and, and he makes alliances. He, he gets to know people. And there's two people we read about that he gets to know. One of them is the former baker uh, for Pharaoh. This was the guy who um, baked cakes and breads and crackers and whatever for Pharaoh. For some reason, he was thrown in jail. I have to think it's because Pharaoh probably went gluten-free and wasn't eating bread anymore. Um, but he's in jail. And, uh, and then the other guy that he makes friends with in jail is the cupbearer. This guy has literally the coolest job ever. His job is to taste wine before the Pharaoh drinks it. That's it. Like, seriously, I mean, that is a cool job. I don't care who you are or, or what your tastes are. Your job is to sit around all day. Should the Pharaoh drink this wine? Yeah, sure. That's it. Go home at night and get some sleep. Um, you're already ready for it because you're probably pretty relaxed. Uh, all right, so the former baker and the former cupbearer, th those are the guys that are in jail that he makes friends with. And they share their dreams with him. And again, this is why I know that they're friends because guys don't typically just share their dreams with people. Like if a guy comes up to me, I don't know, and he's like, you want to hear all about my dreams? No, that's creepy. Stay away. Um, so they're in jail. They share their dreams with him. They, they have this dream, the one that... Well, I won't get into the dreams, but they share their dreams and Joseph interprets them. And, and Joseph says to the cupbearer that he's going to go work for Pharaoh again. And he says, and don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. That's his only request. 
So we'll read in, in, in chapter 40, verse 21, it says, He, that's Pharaoh, then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker because he hated bread so much. Uh, but Joseph, as but as Joseph had predicted, when he interpreted his dream, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. So Joseph's only request was, hey, don't forget about me. What's the first thing he does? He forgets about him. Um, Joseph hit this wall with friendship. Some of you guys have had friends that are like this, that once they moved on, once they had some more power, some more prestige, some more money, whatever, they forgot about you. They moved on from you. That's Joseph. I mean, he's in that situation. He had made friends with these guys in prison and and they forgot about him. The one, obviously, because he died. Uh, But the other one, he's back in his old position and, and he forgot about Joseph. He could have helped Joseph out. And if you're in that situation, if you've been betrayed by friends, if you've been forgotten, Joseph, again, he only has one point, and it would be don't give up. Keep going. God's got a plan. He's in this with you. If we were to look over the rest of Joseph's life, we would see that later down the road, the cupbearer eventually remembers Joseph. He remembers him when Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret it. And so the the cupbearer says, you know what? I know a guy who can interpret dreams. He told me I was going to come work for you again. So they go and they get Joseph and Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And it's about a famine that's coming. And Joseph not only interprets it, but then lays out a whole plan of what they should do to prepare for it. You know, store food here and this and that. And and he prepares them and, and the Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge. He says, you know, I want you to rule over the land with me. He makes him the VP, the vice Pharaoh. And, and, and so he, he's over all the land and, and he's ruling and, and he's pretty much just in charge. And the Pharaoh's just kind of, he's just kind of up there. But Joseph's really the one knowing all the details and running everything. And he remained faithful. And there's a point where his brothers come to him because there's a famine all over the land. And, and Joseph's brothers come. They haven't seen him now. We have to guess, you know, I, I read some of the commentaries. It, it probably was decades because when they sold Joseph into slavery, he was a young boy. He was a teenager. And at this point, he's a full grown man and he's, and he's, Again, he's the vice pharaoh. He's, he's over all of Egypt. And they come to him to buy food. They, they don't recognize him. Again, why well, I think he was probably much older. Now, he was dressed like an Egyptian, some things like that. But you know what? If I took one of my best friends, if I took one of my brothers and I had seen them recently and then they dressed up like an Egyptian, I'd probably still recognize him. Jo- Joseph had grown up. He had become a full ma- full-grown man. And this is where we get to see this. This is kind of where we'll, we'll begin to wrap this up a little bit is that, that Joseph... He, um, he had a different perspective on life than I think some of us have. Because when his brothers came to him, he could have killed them. He could have just been like, you know what you guys did to me? He could have held on to that bitterness. And, and he could have destroyed their lives. But Joseph had this perspective. I think that the secret to Joseph's endurance, the secret to him being able to keep going, to keep pushing forward, is found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. His brothers are repenting at this point in the story. They're, they're saying, Joseph, we're so sorry. Don't kill us. We, we shouldn't have thrown you in that pit. We shouldn't have sold you into slavery. We've regretted it ever since. Dad's a wreck. The family's a mess. We're starving. Please forgive us. Please give us some food. We understand, you know, and some of them are volunteer, volunteering. They're like, you can throw me in jail and, and just don't kill everyone because that's what they expect. And Joseph says this amazing phrase to them. He says, you know what? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good he looks at his brothers who did something absolutely evil and he forgives them and he lets them know that you know what you guys didn't have any power over me to begin with 
you didn't have any control over my life. All of these horrible things that happened to me, God intended them for good. He never let his hurts, his betrayal, stop him from being who God called him to be. He never let bitterness take root and ruin his journey. His perspective was that God knew what was going on the whole time. That there was purpose to his pain. That there was meaning to his suffering. That God not only allowed him to go through those things, but he intended them for a reason. That he had him go through those things to bring him to the place that he was at. And to make him into the man that he had become. How often do we miss this? This truth literally could change our lives. Like when we're going through that next struggle, when we hit that next wall, if we look at it and go, you know what? God has purpose for this pain. He has meaning in this suffering. I'm not without hope. This isn't the end. It would change our perspective. It would change how we go through trials. It would change how we go through struggles. That we wouldn't just be laying down and and, and dying. That we wouldn't just be waiting for it to end. That we wouldn't just be hoping that it gets better soon. But then we think, what is it God's doing right now in my life? Because so often we go through the struggle and we think, God, where are you? He's right there in the pain, in the suffering, in the trial. Sometimes God does deliver us out of it miraculously. And other times he brings us through it. And it takes a long time. And it hurts and it's painful. But in the end, we can see that God intended it for a purpose, for a reason. And Joseph was able to see that. In his case, he, he says that it was for the saving of many lives. Because he got to that position, had he just stayed with his family, that famine hit, they would have probably died. Had he just stayed with Potiphar and the famine hit, again, people would have died. If he had just stayed in prison, probably would have died. But step by step by step, God inched a guy from a foreign land to the vice president of Egypt through pain and trials over and over and over in his life until he had him where he needed to be to save lives. I think Paul wraps this idea up nicely. Thousands of years later, he's writing to Christians in the city of Rome who are being persecuted for their faith. And Paul knows that. He knows they're going through hard times and they're going through trials and and it's uncomfortable. And probably some of them want to give up and they think, you know what, if I just wasn't a Christian, it would be easier. Paul says this in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I love this verse. I'm just going to read it again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. So Paul didn't say some things. He didn't say the good things. He didn't say the pleasant things. He didn't say the church things. He didn't say the nice things, the happy things, the joyful things, uh, the, the comfortable things. He said all things, everything, everything in your life is working together for good because God is in control because God does know what he's doing. And you might be in a situation today, a season today where you're thinking, man, this seems hopeless or, or I've been in this struggle for a while or, or I feel like I, I need to give up. Like, I feel like I can't go on. And Joseph would come alongside us in this race and he would say, look at my life. Look what I went through, and I was able to keep going. You're able to keep going. Don't give up. Don't stop. Today, we need our perspective to change. That God does work it all out for our good. 
and for his glory. That no matter what we no matter what we go through, we should not give up. We should not lay down and die. That our pain and our suffering and our loss is not without hope. That it's not without meaning. It's not without purpose. And how do we do this? There's a verse in the book of Hebrews. It's not on the screen, but it's the very next verse after the theme verse we've been reading. It talks about we should run the race with endurance. And in verse 2, it says that we do this by looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I love that phrase because he's the God, he's the God who starts our faith and he's the God who finishes it. He's not one who just kind of, you know, some people have this idea of God that he just sort of gets the ball rolling and then he's, he's inactive and he's just standing back and he's just watching it happen. It couldn't be further from the truth. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Jesus Christ is there with you in every step of your life. He was with Joseph and he is today with us. But we have to look to him. If you guys can just close your eyes for a second, we're going to wrap up here. We're going to do kind of two things today with prayer. The first one is something we do every week. And I want to say this. If, you're, if you don't know Jesus and you're going through pain and you're going through suffering and you're going through loss, it may feel like it has no meaning. It may feel like it has no purpose. It may feel hopeless. And that's because without Christ, in many ways it is. Because Christ is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is our only hope. And if if we go through this life without him, our pain and our suffering and our loss will feel meaningless. So today, if you want to start a relationship with Christ, if you want Jesus to come into your heart and start that relationship with you today, I want you to throw your hand up in the air just for a moment to let me know. And we'll pray together in just a second. If that's you. Okay. Great. Well, like Michael says, sometimes I think we're all family here today. So I want to do one other thing. You guys can just stand up, actually. You can open your eyes. Stand up. Something we don't do every week. But we're going to take a second right now and pray together for each other as a congregation. So this is what I want. I I want eyes open because we're family, guys. If you are in a season today, if, you, if you're in a, in a struggle today and it feels like you've hit a wall, it feels like you don't see how you can get out of the thing you're in and you need prayer and you, you want God to come alongside you and you want the church to come alongside you because you've hit that wall recently. It could, I don't know what it is, but I, I felt strongly in my heart that there's people here who have hit that wall today. I just want you to put your hand up. If that's you, if you have a wall in your life, something that you're going through that you need God to pull you through, Put your hand up. Now, I want you guys to look around and find someone with their hand up. And we're going to take a second and pray. And I want you to pray for that person that's near you with their hand up. Just keep your hand up for a second. I'll be honest. This was me. Like, I, like as I prepare for this message, God started to pull me through some things that I've been going through the past month. And so I'm with you guys. So, so again, find someone who has their hand up and let's begin to pray. I'm going to pray over all you guys. But seriously, start moving around. Put some hands on people. Let's pray for the people that are hitting those walls because God needs to pull them through. All right, Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you that that we have this ability right here as a body to pray for one another, to lift one another up, to take our needs to you, God. God, and I thank you that as we look in your word, we have people like Joseph to look up to. People who went through the worst of the worst and you brought brought them through. God, and you just didn't bring them back to the place they were before, but you brought them to a better place. And through pain and through trials and through suffering, God, you made their life even better. 
And the impact they had on this world grew even larger. And lives were saved. And people's relationships and hearts were changed because of that pain, because of that suffering. And so, God, these people in our church who are hitting walls, who feel like giving up, God, I pray that you would come alongside them and encourage them. That we as a church would come alongside them and encourage them, God. Lord, that you would gift them with endurance, Lord, to keep pushing, to keep pressing, to know that there is hope, that there is meaning, that there is purpose in the season that they're going through, God. Jesus, that you would do a mighty work in their heart, Lord, and that one day they would look back on this trial that they're in now, and they would see the meaning, and they would see the purpose, God. And they would see how it will save many lives and how it will bring hope to hopeless people. Jesus, today, pour out a spirit of endurance, on your church, Lord. God, we love you, Jesus. We thank you so much for the work you did on the cross and the endurance that you put into that, Lord, to save us, to deliver us, Lord, from from a wall that we couldn't move past, the wall of sin, God. God, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, you are amazing. We give you all the praise. In your name we pray. Amen.